0: just kind of was sitting here during this pandemic, and I was like, I'm not doing music. Let me try to figure other ways to keep myself busy, to keep myself thinking, to experience new things. And I was kind of like, I would love to work and learn some survival techniques, especially since we're in this like pandemic where we're like everything. You never know what's going on. So I was kind of like, what if I kind of learned how to approach something from the mentality of like, what if I need this for some reason? You know, so... Farms are actually, you actually need experience, you would think, one would think, to work on like your average farm. So I started working on a berry farm, and that was kind of an easy way to get into it because all I had to do was like harvest things, you know, I just had to pick berries originally. But then after a while, I was kind of like, you know, I want to learn other things. So I started doing beekeeping, I started learning how like tractors work. Like it really became sort of this kind of thing where. I was like, this is a lifestyle, you know, you can't really just hop into it and hop out of it as easy as one would think as easy as I thought, at least, you know, so that's kind of how it started. And now I just have these skills. I can tell you when blackberries grow, you know, it's like, well, if it ever comes down to it, you know,
1: (laughs) what's the process there? You just like, is there a, I don't know, is there like a Craigslist for, for farming?
0: Honestly, it's a, so the one I work on is this, uh, this farm that is mainly berries and fruits and things so we pretty much just plant during the winter the winter seasons because everything starts to die out and then we have a little bit of a break from the first month or so of the year after we do a bunch of plant care trimming the primacane and floracane and all of that kind of stuff and getting everything set up and then it's more plant care after that until about april and may when we start doing strawberries
1: and stuff What's the process of you going from like, hey, the apocalypse or whatever is happening. I want to work on a farm. Like, how do you actually get a job on a farm in 2020?
0: Uh, Honestly, I just had I was just with a friend that was like, hey. I work on a farm and I've been there for a minute. And I was like, cool, that sounds awesome. They were like, the ad is on Craigslist, check it out. And I was like, all right, I guess most people don't really see those kind of ads. Where would you put that kind of ad? You know what I mean? So
1: It actually was on Craigslist. Yeah,
0: it was actually, there was actually something on Craigslist. Yeah, but they had already been there for about a year and some change. So they cleared it up and I was like, cool, let's start this.
1: And you didn't like grow up on or around a farm or not at any all. of that?
0: Not at all, no,
1: no, no and you're just like I want to do some manual labor. I want to like yeah. get out of there in the field and like really like use my hands and probably I assume have a an aching back at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, it was it was definitely something where I was like I'm used to kind of orchestrating and conducting when it comes to my music. So any kind of thing to pull me away from that that's not not musically is actually pretty fun, I think in a lot of ways, especially where it's like Oh, on the farm, I'm just somebody picking berries with a bunch of other people. And I'm just I could listen to music all day and not say anything the whole day if I want. Or I could talk to everybody around me. You know, I feel like even kind of dictating how I maneuver in those little ways is
1: kind of enough for me to be like, this is cool. You know, I don't know. I like learning, learning things. You could do music or talk to people. What did you find yourself doing most days?
0: talking to people. You know, I love also learning how people talk and it's definitely a different community than the one that I'm used to that works on a farm. So, it was cool, you know, I definitely I definitely have good experiences where I just kind of listen a lot.
1: So, I'm from California originally and like obviously, you know, a ton of agriculture out there and the, the people doing most of the work in the fields, it's it's largely like migrant work from like Mexico as you would expect. Is that Is it similar on the East Coast?
0: Yeah, so there is a program where people from Mexico do come over and they have certain parameters and they work certain hours. But since we're so far from that community, at least geographically, there's not too many. And I think also there is sort of more of a sort of strictness because we're not so close to that area comparatively, you know? You
1: said most of the people you're dealing with were from like different walks of life. but were, Were there other people who were in a similar boat as you who like were you know perhaps pursuing something more creative but were doing this as kind of a, a day job?
0: Uh there were people that were like minded like me, but there wasn't really anybody like me. Like there was definitely there was definitely people who pursued it to just prolong another avenue of like money making that they could, you know, but I think that my main issue was the main thing, it'd be like, the worst thing that would be is someone come up to me and be like, oh, it looks like you're made for this or something. You know, it's like, there's nobody else on the farm that that's going to hit. Like it's going to hit me. You know, it's just one of those things. So.
1: If they like said, you're, you're really oh, good at this, you'll be yeah, you know? like, an insult.
0: Yeah, be like, it's like, that's a little like a little weird you know I'm just picking berries I'm not doing anything too <laughs> anything too creative right now you know it's just it's kind of funny it's definitely depends on the day
1: but it was there was definitely other people that were creative it's not creative necessarily but I'm sure like every other job in the world it's something that that takes skill and that's something that like you know some people are probably more attuned to or, or just generally definitely. better at maybe more efficient at than other people. definitely
0: yeah 100%.
1: I mean, you alluded to this a little bit, but was it a chance to kind of get out of your head a little bit?
0: Um, it was actually the like opposite. Like that all that time I just spent so much time in my head that I eventually became kind of comfortable with myself in a lot of ways, and I think hmm. it made me more confident in how I talk about myself now, you know. It definitely was like Oh, I'll be out on the farm for eight hours, and I'll just be thinking of everything I've ever done, you know. And then it's like I forget it, and I just do it. again the, the next day, you know, but I have a little bit of what I thought from previous days, you know. So it's kind of it was kind of cool to be able to think so much about so many things uninterrupted, because now I'm kind of cool with talking about so many things, you know.
1: What does that mean that you weren't? comfortable talking about yourself. I mean, you said, I think before we started recording, you you had said earlier that you hadn't really done a ton of interviews up to this point.
0: I stopped listening to my own music for a while and stopped kind of making music for a while because there was definitely moments when I would listen to my album and I would be like, this is so good this needs to be released and then be like, "Uh, it's not the time yet. And then I would just sit and listen to it for several hours, you know? And that's like, that's a lot of time to be sitting and listening to yourself talk and not thinking about yourself. You know, I would just listen. I wouldn't be thinking. I'd be like, this sounds really good. What if I did this, that, and the third? But out on the farm, it was kind of like, I could think about myself and listen to myself at the same time and not have to sort of compete with what I'm hearing and trying to nitpick and kind of use that to cover up that I'm trying to think about myself in different ways and
1: different lights and learn a little bit, you know, and be comfortable with myself. What do you mean by it not being the time to to be released?
0: I've been making this record for, I mean, several years now, you know, and it definitely, there's definitely moments where I was like, this is the track list. This is what I think it is. This is exactly how it should go. And it wasn't, you know, it's like, I, I theoretically could have had this record done in 2018, you know, and it's like, it would have not had, Three or so songs on it, but I still would have been proud of it. But it just felt like I hadn't finished the chapter of learning that that's, that kind of came with this life, you know, the pandemic sort of started and it definitely felt like that was a good time to finish that learning and that kind of area of Growth that came with making an album that's lasted since like twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen. You know, I felt kind of that that could round it off this whole time period.
1: You know, what were those learnings? What were those last few learnings that you needed in order to finish this thing?
0: I really wanted to think about how somebody in my position as a black man and their proximity to the harm. You know, and I really wanted to kind of learn about how there are cycles and there's community and there's therapy. And I wanted to kind of dabble in that a little bit and just see how can someone like me evaluate how I maneuver in the world and maneuver a little bit better, you know? And I think taking the time that I would spend listening to my music for three hours, I could be, you know, maybe reading or maybe even just sitting quietly and just like writing, you know? So did a lot of that, which was definitely beneficial.
1: Did you say proximity to harm? Was that the phrase you used?
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. What does that mean? I think that there was definitely a lot of things that I thought that I knew. You know, I always you you think once you hit a certain I've like this fear of once I hit like twenty six or whatever, that I'm gonna think I know everything, you know, and it's like actuality, that's not true at all. And there's just constant learning. And I think I think with my records, there's definitely a lot of me Trying to think that I know what I'm talking about, you know, sounding like I know what I'm talking about, that confidence. But with this last album, there was definitely a lot of vulnerability that came with that sort of, you know, I know what I'm talking about, you know? I think that is sort of like, I don't know, that's just that's just how I was thinking about it, you know?
1: There's definitely a legacy in hip-hop, I guess, you know, in rock too. I actually, I'm probably going all the way back to the blues of people really exerting a lot of confidence, you yeah, know like definitely specifically in in a lot of uh commercial hip-hop there's a lot of there is a lot of bragging is that something that you felt like you wanted to push back against
0: i think that i wanted to do it with more intention i love when people can do that well i think when people can do it well it definitely adds to the story you know i think there's great storytellers but there are people that can also use humor to deflect and to draw in and to talk about how serious in nature it is you know and i think When you lean too much into one area, you can be very good at being braggadocious. You can be very good at storytelling. But if you can do both, if you can still put humor to match that the certain trauma that you're talking about, then it sort of becomes this beautiful sort of dark comedy that is the black experience in a lot of ways through hip hop. You know, and I really think that it's hard to make that balance, but being more vulnerable
1: it's a funny thing like specifically in in hip hop that I've noticed. Cause you know, it's like like Jay Z saying, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Like that's early, right? Like by the time he got to a point where he could say something like that, like he had obviously like, you know amass this empire but because it is such a foundational I don't oh, know cliches the right word but such a foundational element of hip-hop generally like you hear these guys and gals like, who are you know like 18 putting out their first record and rapping like they're they're moguls there's like there's a disconnect yeah. there right there's a disconnect of having that kind of energy when you're f- really putting your first record out into the world you know maybe maybe it's overcompensating
0: definitely I, th- I think it is overcompensating I think it's hard to know your story immediately, and I think we should allow space for people who don't know their story immediately to figure it out. You know,
1: did you ever worry that you were overthinking it though? I mean the amount of time that it that it took to sort of get this record out there at a certain point when you're making something, it is sort of important to set it free and just let it exist in the world
0: definitely yeah i don't I didn't think that I was overthinking it too much. I knew that there was certain things that I wanted to add, like the last song I wrote for the album was probably done in two thousand and twenty. And it was protective styles. I I don't remember which one it is on the tape, but it definitely came out of me doing trial and error with songs that I've already made, putting them on this tape, then being like, this actually doesn't fit and to say what I want to say and taking them off. So I feel like once I kind of rounded it out with, sort of the latter half of the album being more vulnerable than the first half it was like this is the perfect
1: amount of time does that mean that when you're sequencing the thing that there's a broader arc across the tracks
0: definitely yeah so with the first so i i I read that wanna Watanabe, the guy who did Cowboy Bebop, wrote Cowboy mm-hmm. Bebop, the first episode and the last episode first in 1998 because uh I want to say Bandai was the toy company that wanted to – uh that licensed and bought the rights of Cowboy Bebop. But since Star Trek was so popular, they wanted him to make a, a space show that would go on forever, you know? And he was like, the way to combat that is let me write the first and the last episode and kind of figure it out right now, you know? So write the ending first. So it kind of became this thing for me that I was like, that's really cool. I mean, I also love that show and I think that it is a great idea to allow yourself to kind of know when it is an ending, you know? So I wrote the first and the last song, First, "Chain So Heavy" and "Twist My Hair," and those songs were kind of like, okay, this is the beginning. "Chain So Heavy" is really chaotic, really a lot. It's like very heavily jazz, you know. And then "Twist My Hair" is more laid back, no drums, more R and B. So I was like, how do I get from point A to point B? And I think that because "Chain So Heavy" came before the "Chain So Heavy" came before I sort of. Like my my friend died and this kind of that kind of changed how the album went. So as it goes Shane so heavy, never will know, bless the child and then make a poet black, I think is around the time that I lost my friend and that kind of f- culminates at that moment, you know what I mean? And then because of that, it goes into Swangin and then protective Styles, or I think those are that's the order. So protective Styles is more of kind of like this redemption and me kind of thinking like, what is what was needed for this situation, for this relationship, for this person? It's like more therapy, more access to things like that, maybe, like all of these questions I had. And then it goes into Swangin', I think, which is like the song that is like, all right, well, now we're back at it, but we're still not fully, we're not fully there. You know, we're having a good time, but we don't really know, we're kind of covering up what is going on, you know, mentally. And then it goes into the latter half of the album, which includes songs like Mama's Home, Grown Man Voice, BBNE, and I think that's it. And then Twist My Hair. And I think those songs kind of showed like the coming down of all of these events. You know what I mean? BBNE kind of is like this sort of turn near the end of the album where it's like, now it's more serious. And then Mama's Home is sort of this thing where it's like, okay, we have to go back to the beginning to sort of see where we made mistakes. And then Twist My Hair is sort of the. This is the B. This is the end, but is it the end? Question mark.
1: The cowboy bebop thing is really interesting. You know, the closest analogy that I can come up with off the top of my head is: um, Did you ever read Bone, the comic Bone? By Oh, Jesse. I love
0: Bone. Yeah,
1: he came up with the characters when he was like a, a small child, doodled them, and and he always said that he he knew what the last page was.
0: Awesome, that's so sick. I love Bones.
1: Obviously, it like took him you know a thousand pages to get there. It, it's interesting to create an entire work, sort of knowing. Almost kind of racing to the to the finish line. It sounds like
0: definitely that's so cool that you interviewed Jeff Smith. Bones is so so cool, but yeah, it definitely it definitely gives you sort of an ending in sight, and I think it kind of forces you to be okay with whatever happens, you know, and not not be worried about the mistakes that you've made creating it because those ultimately, if you do it if you do it correctly, should have go back into how you then finish this thing.
1: So how much of that broader narrative that you just described to me, is it a picture that you figured out once all the songs were there in place? So I'm almost like picturing you on like a cop show with all the cork boards and the, like the wires and everything else, mm-hmm. like, you know, trying to like connect all of these pieces. How intentional is that storyline that you just gave me?
0: Honestly, it's kind of wild. It's like, it's, 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 it's wild and it's messed up and it's, humorous but I started writing the story a long time ago you know and it's the first two albums revolved around a certain event that happened a fictional event that happened in a neighborhood that then sort of placated this character to kind of dive deeper into all of his experiences aka me figuring out black masculinity issues and then figuring out black Queer issues, black women issues, adding trans people into there, sort of this whole thing, and then
1: I should add in for the listener before we go any further that you know we're pulling back the camera a little bit more. Oh yeah, this is the third of a trilogy. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The first two, first one is "Who Taught You to Hate Yourself" in two thousand sixteen, and the second one is "The Importance of Self Belief" in two thousand
1: eighteen. We discussed specifically the the arc of the last album. Mm-hmm. What is the broader arc on top of that of the three?
0: They kind of detail my life as I'm learning. You know, that's, I think, a self-insert is kind of what most artists do. But I think that with the first one, Who Taught You to Hate Yourself, sort of was me. I started writing that around 2014. So it was kind of me coming into this sort of like, oh... Black issues, you know, they should be more present in my ideas and my thinking and my praxis. But I was really kind of only leaning towards black masculinity, you know, which is definitely something to fight for. But I didn't really know the full picture. So with the importance of self-belief kind of came this thing where I was like, okay. And it kind of also goes with it sonically, too. Who Taught You to Hate Yourself is mainly beats, you know, mainly beats and me paying homage to a lot of older rappers that I knew, like Sean Price, Guilty Simpson, Planet Asia, I think, and a lot of people. And it's like a lot of men on there, you know, in that sort of mind. And it came... This sort of thing where it's like, I was proud of it, but you can hear sonically my growth. So then Importance of Self-Belief was one where I was like, you know, Black men are not the end all be all. That one was started kind of in like 2016 to 2018, I think, when that came out. And it was sort of thing where it was like Black women are actually the backbone of Blackness, you know, and became this sort of thing where that's why there's like the song God's Land, too, which is the poem by Maya Pittman. And there's a lot of there's a lot of empty endings on songs where it's just vocals by Doe Eyes and my friend Jalen, and they sort of, like, are to reflect that at the end of these chaotic experimental songs that I'm working with jazz and trying to figure it out, there is still somebody back home that is the actual getting the brunt of all of this story you know there's there's a figure back home a person back home and it usually tends to be black women you know so with for my mom and anyone who looked like her it became the sort of thing where it's like okay now here i am 2017 to 2020 2021 honestly and it's like now i know that There's so much more to blackness, including queerness, black trans people, you know what I mean? Now this community I'm in is like so much bigger than me. And it became the sort of thing where it was like, all right, this album is for my mama and anyone who looked like her. And it's really exactly what you think it is. Experiences that I have accumulated Over my whole life, but mainly in the last couple years, with these new people that I now love, and how we are all working towards liberation in that sort of way.
1: I think you might be the first person I talked to who is like really as in love with that Random Max record as I was.
0: Oh yeah, Random. I don't. I don't know why.
1: Because I feel like I feel like you might have mentioned Black Milk in in an interview at some point too.
0: I love Black Milk.
1: I don't know why that record has just not gotten the love it deserved but it I think it's like one of the all-time great.
0: It's incredible. Records. Like and and honestly Black Milk doesn't get the love he deserves. Like I don't really have records like vinyls but Black Milk's There's a Hell Below is like one of the only vinyls I have like for real. Album and, of the year. Album Al- of the year was yes. fantastic
1: too. Yeah. Yes.
0: He is just so underrated and then Nobody talks about him, you know, and it's kind of it's kind of messed up because that Random Max record, Guilty Simpson, just like holding it down with like, you know, he's the one that kind of is. You get what you expect, and he does it so well. And then you got Black Milk, incredible on the production, giving you beats that these this rapper Guilty Simpson will never be over. And then you have Sean Price, who's just like rapping, you know, just saying whatever just like comes to mind. Probably one his of the lines.
1: last Sean Price records, too. Yes,
0: right? yeah, 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 yeah. That was, I think, that was the one released before Imperius Rex. I think Imperius Rex was the post album.
1: I do want to get back to the idea of representation and, and identity and it's it's super interesting to me from the standpoint of obviously my my grappling with this and your grappling with this are coming from different places, you know, but I as a cis white guy, you know, who recognizes that they're important stories to tell, but also running up against the question of are they my stories to tell, and you know can I possibly do these stories justice? And and you know when you're talking about broadening your own horizons and telling those stories on record, specifically in the case of I mean I, I don't I don't know what your orientation is, but you know is specifically in the case of like queer people or trans people or women, how are you able to tell those stories, and how important is it to involve those people? in the creation of the record and the creation of the music in order to have them tell their own stories.
0: It's a huge part. If you, it's hard because I definitely had a lot of my thinking of the last year also came with imposter syndrome because there was a lot of moments where this album where I talked, mainly about my friend, but my friend is passed. And it's like, are these moments mine to even talk about? Who is there to corroborate these stories? If I am the only one that remembers them when I'm gone, will anybody remember them? Why am all of a sudden am I a poet now? Because I lost somebody, you know? And it's like a lot of things kind of circled in my mind. And it became this thing where I was like, well, if I relate all of these stories to how I interact with them and still have the people that are influencing me as my backbone and involved in this, it becomes something where I'm not sort of going too far in. You know, I don't overtly start talking about things I don't really know about, you know, but I will say, like, this line is stop killing trans people, you know, or something about how, put a whole poem about how this doesn't revolve around me. It's a bigger thing. It's like, if you're doing the work and if you have the people involved behind you, then you sort of just do it... From the heart with your intentions, you know, you just got to make sure that you know your intentions when you do it. And having people as your backbone and having people to ask about it definitely does help when you're trying to figure out your own identity. It's always good to have references, you know,
1: from from what I've heard of the new record and your music and what I've seen in videos, you know, it's, it's largely you and live instrumentation uh, performing over that music. Do you think that sort of going forward, being more inclusive could or should mean actually getting those people on record?
0: Definitely. And I think I think that when you have a story that you want to tell, it can get hard kind of thinking how to approach that with bringing everybody in. You know, it's it's hard to talk about your own life while trying to make sure everybody's life is properly represented on a record. And I think that there's no right way to go about it. But if you keep trying and keep your intentions correct, you'll eventually find a way to make it work for you and your community.
1: Imposter syndrome is is interesting. I mean, obviously, it's something that like I, I think for whatever reason is kind of like in the zeitgeist these days. I feel like you know it is something that people are talking about in ways that they they hadn't before, and it's interesting to hear it referenced in that way in terms of of the stories that you're telling because you know traditionally I tend to think of it as being more of a creative or professional concern as far as you know, I'm putting out a record and, and comparing yourself to all of the other people who put out a record, you know, from the standpoint of, can I really consider myself a professional musician? Yeah. It's another level of the vulnerability of putting yourself out there and putting yourself on record.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, honestly, with me, I, I don't really worry about other people's kind of stuff anymore. You know, it's definitely, I'm very confident in how I write. And I think because I like what I write, you know, I I don't really... I mean, it's it's funny because I keep I keep joking about the only thing that would derail me is if Kendrick Lamar just started dropping albums and all of a sudden people would be like, oh, there's no space for anybody else who raps over jazz. You know what I mean? They're like no name or one of those artists that people just kind of gravitate towards when they think about one certain genre of rap music. But otherwise, I'm pretty confident in what I say, you know?
1: Talk about tough comparisons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just, yeah. Don't you even know, get me if started. If the one person you can bring yourself to is Kendrick. You
0: know? Don't even get me started. It's like people, people will hear saxophone and me rapping and they're like, oh, wow. So this yeah. is about to be to pimp a butterfly. And I'm like, do not embarrass me. Please do not embarrass me because... What a, what don't you? We're gonna look both like fools
1: when someone's like, "This is not a butterfly." <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, the guy didn't invent rapping over jazz instrumentation. Exactly. That's, that was that was a pretty big thing in the '90s, specifically.
0: Right? Exactly. I mean, even Black Milk Odyssey. You know, people. A lot of people do it with not without the same critical acclaim, but I think. I think people see my vulnerability as something to measure up to that in the same way, you know, and how I kind of will do things where if I mess up, I kind of keep it or if somebody messes up, I kind of keep it, you know, and I try to make it intentional and find a way to explain it. So I think a lot of people sort of, and it's, and it's also hard because there definitely was a culture shift into 2015 when that record came out, you know, people definitely were like, Oh, so rap has another side of it that was obviously there since, a long time before that album, but you know, it became more of a thing that was possible in the mainstream. That I think a lot of people, and I, and I definitely take influence from that too. But I think people think I take sonic influence from that album, where it's like, nah, that I'm Terrence Martin, Kamasi Washington, Robert Glasper, nah,
1: Chris Dave, no, nah. it's like, so. It's hard. I mean, at the end of the day, though, it's got to be a net positive. I mean, obviously, there's the issue of people comparing you directly to what is a masterpiece of a record by (laughs) by like one of the great, you know, one of the great rappers of our era. But I mean, ultimately, I think it's a net positive from the standpoint of anybody who opens people up sonically is probably beneficial to you putting a record out into the world.
0: I think it's it's hard because a lot of a lot of people who aren't black will kind of see rappers and they try to immediately put them within this sort of binary of this versus this, and it's not it's not knowingly, but there definitely is sort of an unknown, a subconscious push to being like, oh, No Name is like Lauryn Hill. And it's like, well, now that means there is only room for one. You either prefer the old or you prefer the new. You know what I mean? And it's kind of this thing that happens so frequently because there's such a limited amount of, I mean, a limited amount of rappers, but a limited amount of like black women rappers a lot. But I think a lot of people, it goes to Taylor's old time, you know, Big Ear Tupac, you know, it's Kanye or Lil Wayne when that was happening, you know, it kind of, it kind of keeps going forever. And I think with me, I'm just worried about not even being able to live up to that potential before I even get there, you know? So it's, it's kind of stupid. I'm just, I got to get over it. You know,
1: I think it's just the way people sort of process or consume art is that it is useful in approaching stuff to have it be in a box. So somebody says like, yeah, he's like Kendrick. I mean, dude, where did, where is a badge of honor?
0: Yeah. It's definitely with, with, Comparison so there's there's definitely comparisons and then there's recommended for artists you like is kind of like different than a comparison I feel like with a comparison there's sort of this room for one and because of rap being so sort of close to the heart and in some sort of ways braggadocious in some ways very conflicting in some ways very very contextual and dense be with backstory of a certain person where they come from that it goes a little bit deeper when you're talking about two rappers, you know, instead of like a band where it's like a general group of people compared to being like, oh, this rapper is th- versus this rapper, you know, and I, I it's, it's hard to figure out that language. I'm trying to figure out that language, but there is sort of more of a being close to home when you talk about two individual people with real lives, you know? I mean, also, I'm not really, I mean, I'm not in the same bracket as even Mr. Lamar. So it's like kind of whatever with that with that point, you know what I mean? But on other levels.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's a fair point in that, you know, being in a band is like being in a small business or something, right? Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, especially if your stock and trade is putting incredibly personal stuff on record yeah and 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 showing exposing yourself like that i think that maybe that to you is where it becomes problematic to compare yourself directly to another person
0: definitely you know struggles are completely different especially when this record is so heavily in my own sort of overcoming and processing and this that and third whereas other rap records are also a specific person kind of over coming processing this, that, and the third, you know? So it's hard to compare those two sort of stories, you know? It's not, it's not, there it is. It's not comparing the, the names, it's comparing the stories. And then that becomes sort of kind of weird, you know? It's hard.
1: Hopefully it's not, it doesn't also mean that there's only space for one person to talk about something like Black identity on a record. Oh yeah, um, definitely not. When we're talking about sort of the influences of the past year, you know, do you, do you get the sense that because, a lot of this stuff that a lot of people have been pushing to the side is now more out in the open that people are more willing to consume art that discusses these ideas.
0: Definitely. I think I think though it's not new a, con- a not a new concept to talk about this. I think every year it sort of becomes something where it's different. And I think 2015 when Tupac Butterfly came out it definitely was a moment where it, to the public eye was like, oh, this, this genre, it's a reminder that this genre can be more vulnerable. You know, it's not like it never wasn't, but it's a reminder that it could be more vulnerable to those that are not living this experience or similar experiences, you know? And I think it's hard because I don't really, politics don't influence my life in my music because I'm living these experiences and they just kind of happen to align with what is happening all the time, you know? So I definitely feel like I don't know. Yeah, I think that's
1: the end of that. Obviously it's not something that has ever gone away for you or for anybody else who is living those experiences. It's more of a question of listen, I think Trump was a very bad president, but I think he yeah. woke a lot of people up to <laughs> Yeah. The fact that, that there that that a lot of this shit is still that was bubbling under the surface for a long time.
0: Yeah, there there was definitely it's more out in the open now, you know, and I think that allows for more people to figure out how they want to react to
1: it. Maybe it means it means like other people are more willing to listen to it. Yeah. Hopefully, right?
0: Definitely, yeah. So, I think there's space
1: and I think that it all uh you know, there's space for all of that. Getting back to imposter syndrome, I guess from a creative standpoint, you know, it's, you said it is, is something that, that you had moved beyond. Um, I'm wondering when you had that realization and whether creative imposter syndrome was perhaps part of what made you wait so long to release a record out into the world.
0: Uh, I think I had that realization a lot while I was first making the beginning of this record. And then I had it more not more, I had more of it when I started working in isolation on that farm. And then I also sort of not fully overcame it, but kind of accepted it more. And now I kind of allow it to happen. And I've sort of came to the point where it's like my story is so personal to me that there's no way there's anybody else's story who was like mine, even if it is the same thing in a way, generally. you know, I shouldn't allow my audience to think that I am making something similar to someone else when in actuality as long as it's working for me then why not you know
1: certainly you're not the first person to come across that that struggle but I mean that's just the great creative struggle generally right is how to definitely do something that is both about you but also touches on things that hopefully will resonate with the listener
0: exactly yeah making i mean I'm still making music so it's like even if even if i want to talk about the most personal thing that i can i still want to try to make a way that i can listen to it myself you know i like listening to myself back i wanted to create things that i weren't i wasn't seeing in the world you know and i think that's what i'm trying to do so even if i want to make something so dense i should still at least make it approachable to me and if i make it approachable to me then it might be approachable to the people that are similar to me you know
1: What's your sense of those things that you weren't seeing or hearing in the world?
0: I would really love the theatrics of music. I really love the theatrics that are in my music. You know, I love just the strings and all of that. And I was like, what if I just push that and just have start rapping over like chamber pop stuff? You know, I really thought there was space for that, that it wasn't fully taken up and I haven't fully figured out the formula for it, but. I think that I love that I'm rapping over violins and swirling strings and things, you know what I mean? And kind of reacting to the orchestra that's behind me.
1: When we were talking about what you majored in, I was was fully expecting you to tell me it was some sort of like – I don't know, jazz or classical or like some like or musical theory or something, you know, because one, it's just difficult from the standpoint of, I don't know, I feel like there's really clear parameters if you're rapping, if you're rapping over like a a standard beat or like, you know, a drum machine or something, right? I mean, there's like, there's a lot of precedent for that. Obviously, this is is just jazz generally, but you're just sort of, you're freer, but it's got to be more difficult because you don't have any really clear foundation when you're creating the music.
0: Definitely. Yeah. So I think that the other thing that kind of puts me in a different group is that I think I leaned much more into not only the vulnerability of the lyrics, but also the vulnerability of the music. I feel people think jazz is either technical or chaotic. They don't really think about the in between, when in actuality, both of those extremes have the sort of vulnerability of either you are allowing yourself to know what comes next, or you have no idea what comes next. And I felt like that would be really cool to kind of match with the lyrics that are also very much conceptually like, I don't know what comes next, or I know exactly what I'm about to do tonight, you know, so it's kind of this thing where I thought that sonically matched the story.
1: Do you start though, in the same place, you know, in in the same way that if you were doing kind of a more traditional rap song, you would start with a, with a beat or a drum machine? Do you you start with the drummer and then kind of build the pieces up from there?
0: Usually I will be having an experience or a moment or a thought and I kind of will write down what that thought is. And then once I write down what that thought is, I kind of approach it. What is the best way I could explain this? Like the most beautiful way I could say these words like with certain rhythms and things like that. But I try to find ways that I can just push the meaning and the concept as far as I can without it being too too big and too abstract. But from there, once I have enough of those meanings that those experiences that are the same from different points in time, I kind of put them together into one verse. And then once I have a full verse, I'm like, okay, so this part of the verse is very calm. You know, I'll wrap it very calm, and then this part of the verse, I'll get more. Loud, I'll get more in your face. And then this part of the last two bars of the verse, I'll calm down again, you know? So once I have that sort of like energy and feeling that I felt when I was writing it, I record the vocal draft and then I sort of approach all the instruments I think I want on it. You know, if I'm doing something in your face, I would love really heavy plucking or very loud guitar or things like that. So I'll approach the guitarist. I'll approach this, that, and the third. And then I allow everybody to sort of get to me when they can. You know, if you let people, if you let, if you send people something, you can't really expect them to send it back on your time, especially in this age where like this current period where time is so different for everybody, you know? So I kind of allow people to get back to me when they can, you know? And once they get back to me, then they send something that is either like, all right, I'm in a comfortable position to record this and it's going to sound like that. Or I something has happened to me that I am so full of these feelings that I'm going to record something and then it kind of comes like that. And I think that allowing people to – being patient with people and allowing them to get something whenever they feel like it forms – also forms the energy and language and the sound of the song and the energy of it. So I think – so that's how I do it. I kind of I kind of get things whenever I get things. That's the downside of it. People send me things like two years later. But it's like, you know, you got it. You know, it's totally fine with me as long as you were had a good time recording it. i gonna use it, you know. So did you ever play an instrument or play in a band or when I was younger? I played like the flute and the violin. But they I guess that. I guess, yeah, that kind of influences, yeah, how I approach the sounds of my music now that I think about it. I never really put two and two together. I kind of was just thinking that I did them, but now it makes sense that I love the theatrics of those instruments in my music.
1: Part why I ask is because, you know, you're talking about being on other people's schedules, which I totally get. Which, you know, like, again, if you were like Kendrick or whatever, and you're like, you know, here's... Yeah. Right. $500,000 <laughs> or whatever, exactly. now, however the hell much he plays the studio. I mean, that's probably high balling it, but anyway, then, then people would be on your own time. But I think in the same way that, that you kind of have to be on other people's schedules, if you're not like a a jazz virtuoso yourself, then there's still, ha- there has to be a tremendous amount of trust in what they're doing yeah. and that you're kind of giving them sounds like kind of broad directions and they have to connect all the dots.
0: Yeah. And I think, that also kind of gives and serves for the unknowing that comes with it. You know, it's funny, my bassist that is on the songs the most, Anthony Cavanaugh. he is so, every time he hears it, he gets, like, so annoyed with me because he's like, I can't believe you left that mistake in there. And it's like, that mistake might be what I formed the whole verse around. Like, it's so funny, with Chainsaw So Heavy, there's a part where the drums stop, and the drums, like flip and everyone's like oh wow that's so cool like free jazz like chaotic and it's like in actuality we forgot we was recording like we just completely stopped and it was a, a, a hiccup and we just threw it in there anyway because i thought it would sound cool to cut it right there and make all the instruments that came after that cut it right there you know so i see what they did with that and i think that was cool because i didn't know what to do with it so
1: when 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 you know when you're doing this and you've got so many people involved and I assume that this is probably a little bit of an exaggeration but like you know if it takes 2 years or however long for them to get it back does that mean that you get to have that, that you don't really get to have a lot of back and forth that if something like doesn't isn't quite exactly what you wanted that you do do you have the opportunity to sort of send it back into to workshop it a little bit
0: yeah everybody's different honestly everybody's different i could tell you how people i can tell you like the inch by the instruments like usually with keyboard players I can get it back really quickly with like flute players. It takes a little bit longer, you know, so guitar players, there's so many people that play guitar, like if I really wanted to, I could I could play, you know, so it's just kind of, it just kind of comes down to the instrument and how much I really want it. Because if I really want it, then I also really want that person to be on it. You know, I really want them to give their energy into it. So even if it's not something that I immediately had in mind, I think that people kind of get the energy of the song and they put it out as much as they can. You know, that's why you let them
1: get comfortable. you be patient. In 2020, the ability to actually like be in a room with a bunch of people and to to jam or to kind of figure some of this stuff out in person and live was just, it wasn't really there. But do you see in the future, do you think there's an opportunity to do a little bit more of this in person to kind of to to workshop in a way that you haven't really afforded yourself before?
0: I so I, I love when people work from their bedrooms and like send it back to me. I mean, maybe I think working with people in person would definitely be a different energy. And I'm not gonna lie, so many people I know are like, Oh, I love working with people in person. And I'm, I'm not really too used to it, which is funny, I should probably overcome that. Because life happens I don't know eventually I'm going to have to be in a room with somebody and I'm going to be like oh I want you to play play the ABC chord or whatever you know so
1: I saw some of the, the live performances online and, and it does sort of give this it has this this energy to it that, that does feel a little bit more organic but I think there's just you know when we when we think of jazz we think of it as being something that is sort of uh, improvisational and organic in, in, in person so you know it would be interesting to sort of to see if there's a way to to bridge the gap between those two.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I I love with my band, it kind of becomes, since we've traveled so much together, we kind of have this energy of, if we don't like it, say it right now, because if we, if you don't, we're going to just be playing it to the point where it doesn't sound the same after this tour, you know? And I think, that improvisation plays a, a large role with my raps even because I kind of like being on my toes while I'm rapping at the shows specifically. I kind of like being able to be like, Oh, somebody messed up, but that's okay. Like we just keep it moving. Nobody knows.
1: Are you freestyling at all? Are you, are you, how good of a freestyler? Oh,
0: I'm a horrible freestyler. Actually, I, let, let me, stop, let me stop. I don't really know if I'm a good freestyler. See, the thing is I'm not too used to doing it. And I feel like it There's takes only me so one way much, to find like, out right? McKinley. I know, right? It's like, it's like, Drop the beat, like, (laughs) surprise. No, it's like, I kind of, I would like to think that I could do it. I make up my jokes when I'm walking around my house, but it would probably be more like a Bo Burnham situation than an actual, like, rapping situation, you know? There's merit in that, but I don't know. You think it's going to be more like stand-up than... Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's easy to rhyme words with like fart or something. But if I'm trying to say something, I don't know if I could actually be like, any of those lyrics to you organically right now, you know,
1: I think it's exciting. And I think there's a ton of opportunity. You know, we talked about some of the the earlier hip hop jazz stuff that was coming out in, in the 90s. And like, you know, to the best of my knowledge, a lot of it was really just like, oh, yeah, let's like sample. You know, let's sample Herbie Hancock or something, you know, versus versus like, let's play with a a live band. And this opens up kind of a potential whole new world when it comes to live music and recording in the studio.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I think it has given me sort of a language that a lot of other rappers don't really have because of access. You know, I think... Being able to work with this band on and off record has allowed me to know how people communicate and has allowed me patience when communicating with people, you know. So I definitely I definitely hope it opens up a new avenue of vulnerability for
1: how rappers approach music. There was no touring last year, and obviously there's, there's no touring for, for most of this year. What does that mean for somebody who not only has an album coming out, but somebody who, when he does tour will be touring with the band.
0: I think that my album kind of lasts the test of time. I think I'm confident in that. And that also comes from me sitting with it for so long that even if it's several years from now, when shows come out or whenever shows are happening again, people still have the same enthusiasm with trying to hear these songs live, you know, transposed
1: live. There's no specific tour plan right now?
0: No, not really. I should, probably think about that soon
1: (laughs) i mean shows are coming it's like so weird
0: because like shows are coming back and the worst thing about shows coming back is that so many big names are like taking locking venues down even if they don't happen they still have that venue locked and it's like honestly the majority of venues are locked down until january february which is so weird to think because we don't know when music's actually coming back but also you can't really bring it back if you wanted to, if you don't have that sort of support. So I'm kind of in that weird middle spot where it's like, I think I'll do pretty well when shows come back. But for right now, I have no idea what's going on. And I'm OK with that.
1: It sounded like there's a little bit of sort of not necessarily social anxiety, but sort of like anxiety around kind of getting getting out there and doing the tour. Uh, I again, I mean, at this point, is it more is there more anxiety around it or is it more just sort of like excitement around the opportunity of when you do have a chance to do that?
0: excitement. I'm so excited to be rapping again on stage. I'm so excited to be in a different city, just in a different just waking up being like, "Oh, I'm still in the same state?" Wild. Going back to sleep. I love touring. I think that uh it definitely I definitely I didn't take it for granted, but I definitely Would appreciate it more, even those the worst shows now, you know. Is there a scene in Richmond? Yeah, it's cool. So, Richmond was very punk at one point, you know. I can't remember, I want to say Lamb of God came out of it, Guar came out of it, uh, other bands of that sort of like nature were really big back in the day. And as the 2000s hit, it took a little bit for the rap community get there, but it sort of really picked up around the 2015 or so when me and a couple other people kind of came onto the scene, and this group called Mutant Academy kind of came onto the scene, and there's Obliv, which is like who is a producer who's been here for a long time, DJ Harrison, who's the drummer from Butcher Brown, who's like been in the scene for a long time, you know, and there's also a lot of current upstarts like uh, Lucy Dacus is out there doing a lot of really wild things just constantly. So it's, it's a cool, it's a cool community that, I mean, Natalie Prass lived here for a little bit, like that group of people comes through a lot. So I definitely think it's a good place to, have access to a bunch of other places very easily and sort of get your start Uh, you
1: mentioned kamasi washington before and like i tend to lump him in with like you know thundercat in terms of like these people who are or like flying lotus who are like kind of you know blurring the lines i guess between all genres so it's definitely in a lot of cases between hip-hop and jazz um do you think that as somebody who uh, live instruments just specifically jazz instruments and jazz instrumentation plays a role in your music that that opens up more doors I mean do you, do you think the jazz community is ready for it you know do you think that they'll do you think they're willing to kind of open themselves up to rap in ways that they maybe not necessarily haven't in the past
0: I think it's very hard I think I think when any genre that comes from black people has been taken and ran with in so many different directions it's sort of becomes very guarded you know and it doesn't mean that it's unnecessary but it does mean that it's sometimes harmful so i think we'll have to see i'm not i'm not holding my head too much if it doesn't land for the jazz community as much as i would love to know those cats all of them i think that it's working for me